Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, on the theme of abusing God. How do you respond when bad things happen to you, when life dishes you up bad things, when an uninsured car smashes into you, when you sit by your child's bed in hospital, when you stand by your wife's grave, when you have no job and an empty home and no friends, when you have cancer and you get the sack, or your husband runs off with another woman, how do you respond? Well, some people turn on those around them, and they really are hostile to everybody. When the FA Cup takes place, the Samaritans go on red alert because so many men, if their team loses, they then take it out on their wives and children. Some people turn on themselves. I knew a girl whose boyfriend ditched her, so she poured petrol over herself and set herself alight. The people of God, Christians, often turn on God. In their pain, some people are abusive towards God, really hostile towards God. I know people who tell me that on a certain day, they turned their back and they walked away from God and have been walking away from God for decades. Others, they try to manipulate God uh, with their promises and vows. Now, we've got to be very careful about this. So Solomon tells us here in Ecclesiastes 5 and verses 1 to 3 that you have to be very careful how you complain to God. Let's see where we're up to. There you are. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who don't know what, that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares. The worst plane crash I think the worst plane crash ever about 30 years ago uh, happened when uh, a plane was taking off at the same time as a plane was coming into land and tragically they must have touched and one plane flipped over and landed on the top of the other and they both burst into flames and nearly 600 people were killed. And when they got the black box, and listen to the pilot's last words. Do you know what they were? Words that you shouldn't say from the pulpit. Damn you, God. That was his last words. Can you imagine entering into the presence of God to stand before God in judgment with those words having just left your lips? And yet some of us aren't much better when Joseph Stalin, the, the uh, evil Russian dictator, was dying, he waved his fist at heaven full of rage against God. He had trained for the priesthood, given it all up, led an atheistic, brutal regime, and at the end of it, waved his fist at God. And yet I would have many people in my office telling me 
how they would shout at God. In their rooms, they would lie on their bed, they would put their face in their pillow, and they would scream at God. And they were angry at God. And they would complain at God and vent their anger at God because he was not doing for them what they wanted. <laughs> As if God is your little slave and he's there to do what you want. God is the eternal, almighty, glorious, holy God. And we shout at him because he doesn't do for us what we want. And yet people treat God as if he doesn't love them because he doesn't give them just what they want. Their football team didn't win and they prayed it would win. Their lottery numbers didn't come in and they prayed that they would come in. The guy at college hasn't fallen in love with them when they prayed he would. And so God gets a piece of their mind and, and you tell him how he has let you down. He has hurt you. He has failed you. He doesn't love you. Stop. Who do you think you're talking to? Look at verse 2. He is God. What's our next slide, please? He is God. Don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God. He's not your personal assistant whom you employ to sort out all your problems. These days, for about £40 a week, you can outsource to India or China, and you can have a personal assistant who will do all your research for your essays, who will answer all your emails, and do just about anything for you remotely. And if you don't like them, or you didn't get a good a grade on your essay, then you just sack them and get someone else. But God is not like that. He is superior to anything you can imagine. He is the uncreated creator. He is the sovereign king. He is the life-giving one. He is the triune God in perfect loving relationship. He is holy, righteous, wise, and good. And it is sinful even to think bad thoughts about him. He is so good. Not only did he create you in his image so that you can know him, and so that you can be in a relationship with him, and so that you can have uh, dignity and destiny, but he created you in his image so that he could become like you. So that he could become human. And when we, turn, when we turned our backs upon him and went our stupid way to destruction and were unable to stop ourselves, not only have a wasted life but a lost eternity, well, he didn't just wash his hands of us and say, well, that's their, their wish, let them go. No, he came down into the muck of our lives and he took our guilt upon his own shoulders. He stretched out his hand. He was pierced in our place and punished upon the cross and he bore our hell instead of us and he crossed out 
all our guilt. And he offers us forgiveness and offers us life and the privilege of knowing God and the hope of heaven to come. But that's not all. He, he gives us his spirit to be in us, to transform us, to give us spiritual life and comfort and assurance and peace and power. But that's not all. He's given us many great and precious promises. But that's not all. He's given us a purpose for life and death. He works in all things for our good. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He is God, the great and glorious one. You shout at him. You tell him that he doesn't love you because he's not giving you just what you want. He is God and he is in heaven. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. God is outside of space and time. This is man's dimension. That is God's dimension. He knows the end of the story. He can see all things. He knows where it's all leading. He knows and he sees from the heavenly perspective. And here we are telling, uh, here we are, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we have the audacity to tell God that he's not doing things the way he should. He's not treating us the way he should. Well, may God forgive us. And may God change us. Yes, we have to recognize that your life might be very hard. It might be very painful. You might cry yourself to sleep every night. It might not feel nice. But it's nothing like being crucified for someone else's sin. It's nothing like being made sin. It's nothing like being abandoned by God. It's nothing like enduring hell for others. And that's what God did for us in Christ Jesus. So stop. What should we do? First of all, verse 1, guard your feet. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now you've got to remember this is Old Testament, all right? This is, about, this is not about going to church on Sunday. Although I know in the ice and snow today, you did guard your steps as you went up to the house of God. But this isn't talking about coming to church on Sundays. In the Old Testament, certain places were holy places. And if you wanted to meet with God, you had to go to certain places, like the temple. Today, you don't need to come to church to meet with God. Uh, you could meet with God anywhere. We do meet with God in church. We do meet with God when we're in, in our, our own bedroom reading our scriptures and praying. We, we can meet with God when we're on the bus and we're reading a good Christian book or whatever. We can meet with God everywhere today. We gather together to meet together around God's word and to praise him together in unity. However, this person back here in these Old Testament days, this person is hurting. His life sucks. And so he's marching off to the temple to tell God that God should treat him better than God's doing. Be careful, says Solomon. Guard your feet. Don't let them take you that way. And for us, it's guard yourself, guard your spirit. Be very careful how you approach God in prayer. Don't barge into God's presence to give him a piece of your mind. 
Guard your feet. Secondly, guard your ears. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Some of us have made up our minds that we aren't going to listen. <laughs> we know it. We've got it sorted. There's nothing God can tell us. We know it all. We don't go to listen. I know people like that. They're convinced that they're right before they've even considered other opinions. They're convinced that God likes what they like. What they think is right is what God thinks is right. <laughs> and if they don't like it, well, then God obviously doesn't like it. Ezekiel tells us that that is the nature of false prophets. Don't offer the worship of a fool, telling God what he should be doing. Go to listen, to submit to his word and accept his authority, to hear and heed the word of God. There's a famous story of George Whitfield. He was preaching to the thousands in uh, Kingswood in Bristol, and there was... Uh, Lots of opposition to him as well. And people like to ridicule him and they would imitate him and mock him and just, just make fun of him. And there was one guy who, who wanted to imitate him in the pub. And so he decided he had to go and listen to Whitfield preach so that he would get the right gestures and everything so he could imitate him preaching. But he was so worried that he would come under the uh, power of what Whitfield was preaching that he didn't want to listen. So he wanted to watch Whitfield preaching, but not listen. So he climbed up a tree where he could uh, see Whitfield preaching, and he put his fingers in his ears. And while Whitfield was starting to preach, he was there. When a fly came and landed on his nose, <laughs> and he was <laughs> trying to shake the fly off, and he couldn't. So in the end, he had to take his finger out of his ear to waft the fly away from his nose. And he heard Whitfield say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it was like a thunderbolt out of heaven to him. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's not think we've got it all sorted. We draw near to listen. Thirdly, guard your mouth. Do not be quick with your mouth before you grumble to God. Before you tell God he's got it wrong and you've got it right, be very careful. And fourthly, guard your heart. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Just to think it is bad, to entertain bad thoughts about God is sinful, to harbor resentment against God is, is wicked. Be careful. As verse 3 says, this is the life of a fool. It's not only stupid intellectually, it is wrong morally. So be very careful how you complain to God. It's amazing how different people can be. Some people vent their anger at God and other people try to manipulate God. They don't go telling God off for not doing what they want. No, 
these people make vows. These people seem so much more spiritual. And they tell God that if God gives them a son, they will dedicate him to be a missionary. Or if God gives them a good job, then they will dedicate 50% of their earnings to the church. Their response to hardships and injustice is really to try and bribe God. Well, this too is very dangerous. So Solomon says in verses 4 to 7, be very careful how you promise to God. Verses 4 to 7, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore stand in awe of God. I don't know about you, but I know that lots of people have gone to conferences and they have been very stirred by the preaching and they have vowed at the end of the service to spend one hour a day in prayer every day or they vowed to witness to one person every single day or to get up at four o'clock in the morning and study their bible for three hours before they go off to work uh, or to be nice to their brother I don't know what it is, but they, they feel stirred and they feel good. And so, so they make these promises to God. I mean, well, we really felt like this. But God is not impressed if we just make these great promises because words are cheap. You need to do what you promise, not just make the promises. Otherwise, they're lies, aren't they? You, you need to do what you promise to God. You, we need to do what we sing to God, not just sing it. It's one of the dangerous things about singing these hymns to God. We can sing wonderful promises to God. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. And we grudge it, giving him a mite. I thought, oh, <laughs> and I, enough said. You know, we could... We could Say things to God and do exactly the opposite. Did you ever see that childish film, Mars Attack, where the Martians came and they said to everyone, we come in peace and then blew them all up. You know? And sometimes we can be like that to God. We say, oh God, we love you, we're going to serve you, and then we do nothing, do exactly the opposite. Well, you can't deceive God. Look at what it says. Verses 4 and 5, back one. Fulfill your promises and fulfill them quickly. Don't be a fool. God has no pleasure in a person's big mouth. It's better to keep silent than to make promises you don't keep. Think of your marriage vows. Many young people enter into marriage these days as if it's a bit of a lark. They make their vows, but they have no intention of keeping them. In Las Vegas, you can hire a wedding ring. I mean, why buy one when you're not going to keep it for very long? So you just hire it. Even mature Christians, they can stop working at their marriage. They just let it go cold, let it go stale. It's the Christian in the office. Someone comes along and they're just 
flirting, really, but then it gets out of hand. And before you know it, they're breaking their solemn vows. And I challenged people like this. I said, well, didn't you mean your vows? And they said, oh, well, I meant them then, but I've changed. I don't feel like that anymore. And I said, well, that's why you made vows, because you're going to keep them when you don't feel like keeping them. That's the whole point of it. Well, take the dedication of our children. Parents vow to pray for their children and bring them up under the gospel in the teaching of Jesus Christ. But after a while, life's so busy and the pressures are so great, it's not easy, so they give up. And the congregation that stood and promised to support these families and pray for these children, well, it's just a bit of a game. (laughs) We didn't really feel any obligation to it. (laughs) And when these kids mess around, we forget that we have vowed and promised to stand with their parents and support them. And so we just grumble and criticize and drive them away if we're not careful. But what about our baptism vows? Remember when you were baptized? You promised that you believed that Jesus Christ was Lord. You believed that he died to forgive you your sins. Your life is committed to following him. But actually, you were more committed to doing what you wanted to do, and being baptized was just one of the things you wanted to do. If it fits in great, if it doesn't, well, we forget it. What about your commitment to giving? How many of us once were much more committed than we are now? I remember Steve Dudding telling me of a uh, young lad in the church who, who, when he earned his first page packet, he went to his minister and he said, look, I am promising to give one-tenth of everything I earn to the church. Well, the minister was touched. Some years later, he went back to his minister and asked to be released from his promise. He says, because now I'm giving thousands every month. The minister replied, I don't think I can release you from your vow, but I can pray that God will bring you back so you only have to give 10p a week again. Keep your vows. It's better not to vow than to vow and not fulfill it. Don't make rash and silly vows. I mean, in the Catholic Church, aren't they in a mess? Because they make the priest take a vow of celibacy. It's just stupid. Don't do it. If your daughter is desperately ill in hospital, don't vow that if she lives, you will witness to a 100 people every day. You won't be able to do it. God knows. Don't try and manipulate God with silly vows. You can't just repent afterwards and say, well, it it all disappears because I've repented. It doesn't work like that. When we repent, we repent for not keeping our vows and pray for the strength that now on we will be able to keep them. And you have to repent of not keeping them and then try to keep them. That's what repentance is all about. Don't be a fool and displease God. Fulfill your promises. And, verses 6 and 7, don't try to get out of your vows. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. I wonder how many people tell me how many people have told me that their marriage vows were a mistake? 
But this doesn't excuse them. It brings God's discipline down upon them. And God's discipline, as we thought this morning, is very serious. It can wreck and destroy our lives, even if it doesn't destroy our souls. I saw this in my dad's life. My dad, for many years, ran well in the Christian life. He was converted under Lee Samuel's ministry when he was a medical student and Lee Samuel was doing a mission. He then became a very gifted evangelist. And many people were converted under his ministry. And then sin got in. Whether it was greed for money, whether it was pride, whether it was immorality, probably a whole host of these things. And he turned away from the Lord. And bit by bit by bit, the Lord took everything away from my dad. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost his home. He lost his family. Probably lost his mind. And then died at his own hand tragically. Tragic. Don't try to get out of your commitment. Seek God for grace to fulfill them. Unless they were sinful. In which case... You have made a real mess of things. If you've promised sinful promises to God, you need to repent of making such a stupid vow and you need to repent of not obeying it and then you need to ask God to discipline you in mercy and not treat you as your sins deserve. So let me draw some conclusions. Therefore, fear God. Don't grumble at him. Don't try to manipulate or control him. Stand in awe of God. What does that mean? Well, it means you have a humble attitude of gratitude. You recognize that you deserve nothing from God. And you are richly blessed by God. And therefore, whatever your circumstance, in the midst of it, you thank God. You are thankful that He has loved you. And He has sent His Son to be your Savior. And that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins. And that Jesus Christ gives you full and free forgiveness. And that you have heaven as your home. And that God has given his Holy Spirit to bring you spiritual life so that you can know life in all its fullness. And that you can cast your care upon him for he cares for you. And you can pray about everything and know that God accepts you simply because you trust in his Son. And you know that God loves you for Jesus' sake. And you know that God is at work in all things for your good. And so you come before God and trembling and in the midst of your pain you say, thank you God for saving my soul. Thank you God that you've got your hand upon my life. And though I go through the deep waters, I don't go through them alone. And you are with me, and you are bringing me to glory. I don't know why 
you know why. I stand in awe of you. The world grumbles, complains, because life is unfair. But not for us. We are full of gratitude to God for his grace. Wonderful grace that gives what I don't deserve. And we stand in awe of God. And we give thanks in all circumstances. The people of Christ, you see, are different from those who have no hope in God. Let's make sure we're those standing in awe of God.